Written on the pages of the great book of nature lies a truth so profound that it has beckoned men and women throughout the ages to seek its wisdom. We will continue this quest and study many stories of humanity as we search for this light. On this journey, we will examine philosophy, religion, and science to uncover the hidden mysteries behind myth and legend using the symbols of universal Freemasonry. Welcome to Legends of the Craft. Welcome back to Legends of the Craft. I'm back with Brother Matthias after a little summer break. Wonderful to be back. And today we're talking about Freemasonry and the military. We have two very special guests with us today. Brother Byron Gorell, a retired captain in the Army who served in the Cold War Theater. And Brother Isaac Levy, a specialist in the Army Corps of Engineers who served in Afghanistan. And today we're going to be talking about the parallels and the connections between uh, the military and the modern practice of Freemasonry. So welcome, Brother Byron and uh, Isaac. So it'd be great if you guys could sort of introduce uh, where you served and in what capacity you served uh, the U.S. military. So um, for myself, this is this is, uh, Brother Byron. I looked at uh, the military as, as kind of a calling, really, for me, because uh, I grew up as a, a military brat, and my father was an officer as well. And then uh, when I got into my college years, I, um, I enlisted in the Army, was, uh, was uh, enlisted for a little while, and then, and then got into ROTC, and then transferred to, uh, to West Point, uh, where I got my, uh, de- uh, my degree and my commission uh, back in 1985. Uh, following that, my first assignment was at a, a wonderful place called Fort Polk. Uh, yes, Camp Swampy does exist. And then after that, I got sent overseas for a year. Uh, as an exchange student in uh, England uh, at the Royal Military College of Science, and then came back to the States to uh, wrap up my nine and a half years at Fort Hood, Texas. Brother Isaac. Thank you. Brother Isaac here. So my enlisting in the military, I had just graduated high school in 2004. I didn't want to do what everybody else was doing, which was going to college. So I wanted to try out some adventure and join the Army. At first, I I was in the Army Reserves for about a year and a half, and then I transitioned to active duty. I I requested to to be active duty military, and they granted it. And then I was stationed at Fort Hood, and I was there for about a year and a half. And then we deployed to Afghanistan for 15 months, and then I returned back to Fort Hood for a few months. At that point, my contract of active duty ended, which I returned back to Denver, Colorado for about another 15 months in the reserves, and that was the extent of my military duty. So I have a question, Brother Byron and Brother Isaac. Um, your service in the U.S. Army, to what extent did that influence your decision to become a Freemason? So uh, for me, I'd say um, I left the military in, in 1994. 1994. And uh, there was a series of events that occurred at that time that precipitated me getting out of the military that set me down a path towards um, being a Mason. I didn't know it at the time. It was another 15 years, uh, 10 or 15 years before I actually became a Mason. But uh, I started down that road, and that's a whole story unto itself. Um, 
to to kind of sum it up, I, I basically had a crisis, uh, and I ended up being medically discharged from the military. And uh, because of that crisis, I became more spiritually connected, aware, however you want to term that, and uh, started exploring things that um, I had never looked into before. Um, uh, that led me down that path that eventually led to uh, being a Mason. So what appealed to me about Freemasonry was basically that it was an army, but that actually, you know, talked the talk and walked the walk. And what I mean by that is that uh, during my service in the military, I became a bit disillusioned and jaded because, you know, they would instill these things like honor and duty and integrity and all that. But from my experience was that there was several sergeants and officers that, that would do drugs and, you know, beat their wives and drink and drive and do all these things. And basically they didn't live up to the values that they, that they were supposed to uphold. So I was a bit disillusioned with that. And once I got out, um, it was actually a friend of mine that introduced me to Freemasonry. Uh, I've always been, you know, inclined as far as organizations. So I was very excited to find an organization that was more army than the army, if that makes any sense. <laughs> so, uh, Brother Isaac, I find it interesting. I find your story very interesting because there are some similarities uh, between your story and, and what I experienced. Not, not the drug part or, or the wife beating, um, but the fact that... Um, some people in very senior positions would would use those positions to personal advantage. And that caused a um, kind of an, an internal clash for me. So I have a question for both of you, uh, Brother Isaac, Brother Byron. What was it, what did you find when you became a Freemason or were starting to become a Freemason that was so parallel to your experience in the military? Like when you say, Brother Isaac, that um, Freemasonry was more army than the army. Like what exactly are you talking about? What principles are you talking about that are exemplified in Masonry that you also found in the army that you wish had been acted upon more seriously? So Brother Axel, just like in Freemasonry, the military has a lot of memorization work. And they have this thing called the Soldier's Creed, and they pound it into every new recruit's head. And there's a core aspect of that. There's like four lines called the Warrior's Ethos. And I find those to be basically be the, the essence of Freemasonry. But in the Army, you know, most people just recite it because they had to. Some people lived up to them, but for the most part, you know, it was just something that you say when called upon. But in the Army, uh, in the Freemasonry, I find that especially in our flavor of Freemasonry, the brothers really live up to, to those warrior ethos of, I'll always place the mission first, I'll never accept defeat, I'll never quit, I'll never leave a fallen comrade. And I would say that in Freemasonry, it's, I'll never leave a fallen brother. But I think that a lot of the values that, that are in the, the warrior's or the soldier's creed are, are the backbone of Freemasonry. So, are we warriors in Freemasonry? Because most people think it's a club. You know, we go there, uh, you know, we, we do some ritual, we hang out with our bros, have a beer, uh, we'll support each other uh, in all our engagements. 
It doesn't sound much like we're warriors of anything, but are we? I think we are. Um, but I would also say that um, that's not what brought me into masonry. Uh, I knew very little about masonry when, when I was first introduced to it uh, back in 2012. What brought me to masonry was uh, the Cabellion, actually. And I wanted to find an organization that was practicing the precepts of the Cabellion today that, that existed. And that led to an internet search that led me to a co-masonry. Much to my, to my delight, if you will, I did find a, a, a lot of parallels between what masonry practices and the military. It's all about uh, being a part of something bigger than yourself. Uh, it's, it's about service. It's about personal discipline. Uh, the movements we um, execute and lodge are very precise in nature, uh, which, uh, again, there's a parallel there with the military. And it's, to, it's a visible, for me, it's a visible demonstration of the kind of discipline you need to, to exhibit both in the military and as a Mason. I would almost even say that Freemasonry is, is the higher mysteries and the military are the lower mysteries in some way. And that in Freemasonry, you, you know why you're doing these movements, or at least you can speculate on, on their meaning. But in the army, you know, you just, you salute and, you know, that's just how it is. Or, or you stand at attention at a specific position and that's how it is. But in Freemasonry, I would say that there's, there's some added symbolism as far as your body being an emblem of your mind and the rectitude being a symbol of your actions. Well, I, don't, I don't think they get that deep in, in the military as far as explaining some things like that. I guess in a, in a little way, I might, uh, I might disagree with that, Brother Isaac, because I think a lot of what we do in the military is very symbolic in nature. For example, when you salute somebody, you're not saluting the person, you're saluting the office. Um, when you carry the flag, that's, that's a very obvious symbol. Uh, in a parade, and you and you give honors to the flag and to our country. All of that is very, very symbolic. It's when um, personalities get involved that that kind of breaks down. Um, and I saw, and unfortunately, saw that with some individuals uh, during my stint in the military. It's interesting listening to both of you talk because um, I see a parallel between what's happening in Freemasonry and what's happening in the U.S. military, perhaps other militaries in the world. But, you know, mailcraft masonry has essentially over the last hundred years slowly begun to deteriorate. Its standards have been loosened. A certain sim symbology has been removed. Um, the, the honor that people uh, believed existed during, you know, World War I and World War II and so on is not the same that I hear people talking about today. Now, I, I wasn't in the military, but... You know, my wife's uh, grandfather, you know, served with Patton in World War II and just listening to his stories and how it was. And then listening to you, Brother Brian, which was you're basically in the 80s and 90s. And then you, Brother Isaac, who is essentially in the last 10 years, 15 years, it seems like things have changed, that it's almost a little more watered down and uh, it's not it's not the same. So is there a parallel between the military sort of loosening its standards and masonry in general loosening its standards and becoming more watered down what do you guys think well funny you mention that um 
because you know you always hear war stories or at least these horror stories of of drill sergeants you know taking their unruly uh recruits you know to the latrine late at night roughing them up a little bit or you know quote unquote back in the day where drill sergeants could you know punch you in the gut or you know kind of give you a slight headbutt during <laughs> during basic training or, or boot camp you really don't don't see that anymore and if there's reports of that you know people are going to get in trouble um but other than that i would say that you know at least during the the mid 2000s you know 2003 4 and 5 when the war in, in iraq and afghanistan was kind of uh, revving up they lowered the standards for for new recruits and they issued what's called a, a waiver so medical impairments or criminal records that would normally bar somebody from enlisting those are overlooked or or waived so that was kind of a bit of a of a watering down of of the gene pool in a sense that um a, a lot of these soldiers that normally wouldn't be soldiers were now soldiers you know that's really interesting brother isaac because there's a there's a definite parallel to how at least in my opinion how the degradation of mainstream masonry came about. And it's actually very similar that, you know, after World War II, you had a lot of uh, a lot of people coming back who had known Masons when they had served in France or various places during World War II that otherwise would not have become Masons, joining Masonry because they wanted to hang out with their buddies. You know, they wanted to be around their friends. They wanted to continue the camaraderie that they had found overseas. But it's at that point that, just like you get a lot of people in the military now who wouldn't otherwise be in the military and who might not have met the standards, back then you're getting a lot of new people that probably weren't interested in, in symbolism and Masonic history and legend as much as maybe the people that came before them. And this massive influx of numbers seems to have watered down the actual practice of mailcraft masonry. So, Brother Isaac, I, I found your description of, of the Army you experienced very, very interesting because it's uh, significantly different from the Army that I experienced. Uh, the Army I was in was a peacetime Army, but it was also a Cold War type Army. Uh, the type of tactics we, we practiced were, were heavy unit tactics, tanks, planes, um, uh, armored personnel carriers, things like that. And, and training was, was king. Uh, everything we did was oriented around training and making sure that we were ready to fight a Soviet enemy. So when you introduce the um, the fact of a shooting war, things change. And again, I've never never actually experienced that. Uh, there was like Panama while I was in, but that was nothing like Afghanistan or what's going on in Iran and the like. But I'd be interested in hearing your your thoughts on how going into an active war kind of changed the military uh, from, from what it was during the Cold War? Really, I think the biggest factor was just needing bodies, you know, putting boots on the ground. And I think that as soldiers become wounded or killed, they need to replace them, and they need to replace them rapidly. So I think that, you know, lowering the standards for enlistment was a way of, of getting people that just to, to fill those places in because otherwise, you know, your average kid is probably more likely to go to college than in the military. I think that hands down that that's how it goes. And a bulk of, of the military, at least in the enlisted aspect of it, not officers, are, you know, young kids with not a whole lot going on. So the Army definitely provides a lot of, of opportunities for them. 
you know, some free college, some food, some housing that otherwise uh, these people are going to struggle with in the outside world. And something that I saw is that, you know, once a soldier gets out, you know, some a lot of the times they, they come back just because it's so hard to not live in such a structured environment. You know, to be your own boss is a bit tougher than to just wake up and, and do what you're told. I think it's important for us to note that, you know, masonry is an army. Especially when you look at the higher degrees of the Scottish Rite in which our organization practices. We become knights and commanders of an army in which we all have to take our place towards the glorious cause of the perfection of humanity. And I think all too often in the lower degrees, people... It's, it's some sort of self-improvement organization for them, which it is, as is the military. But there is a cause and there is a purpose. And we are in the service of something greater than ourselves. And, and the three parallels that I'm hearing, uh, Brother Isaac and Brother Byron, that you're discussing here, is discipline, brotherhood, and, you know, cult drill or memorization. But these are three components you find in Freemasonry. Uh, and so, to me, I see those as three strong parallels, and I'd really like to explore each of those separately. So why don't we start by talking about discipline. Why is discipline so important in the military and in Freemasonry? So, Brother Matthias, uh, I, I want to return to something that Brother Byron said, that um, when he was in, that the discipline um, was more strongly enforced. Is that correct? Uh, that was that's my impression. That's yes. your impression. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting that in an era where there was not necessarily a hot war, but a very clearly, like a very clearly laid out threat or enemy in the in the in the form of the Soviets, that the uh, the discipline and the training was so hardcore. Whereas in Brother Isaac's era, when there was kind of a more nebulous, vague, like oh, we're fighting the global war on terror, but who really are these people? Like we don't really know what's going on. That, that, that the standards become more lax and the discipline is more lax. But it seems that when there's a very clear um, threat... An objective. An objective, then there's a, there's a reason for people to train and to, to maintain discipline. And so I would say the diff I mean, one of the main differences that I notice between our order and mailcraft orders is that mailcraft orders don't have a clear objective. They don't have a clear enemy. Whereas universal co-masonry, we work to the perfection of humanity. That is our objective. And our, our enemy is ignorance. We, we work to destroy ignorance in all its forms. That's in our writings. Like, we have very clearly defined what the threat to humanity is and what we intend to do about it. So um, it occurs to me as, as you were talking, Brother Axel, some thoughts, lines of thought occurred to me. Um, the threat that we faced was clearly defined and easy to identify, but it required a lot of discipline because we didn't, the, the threat was not immediate. We were not facing bodily harm other than maybe from a drill sergeant or something like that. Um, whereas the the kind of army that Brother Isaac was in, the threat was real. It was very immediate. And, and if you didn't pay attention, it was sort of self-reinforcing, if you will. So um, I think about masonry and, and our profane lives interacting with... Um, profanes, if you will, on a daily basis, that, I don't want to call it a threat, but the, the perfection of humanity and what that means is very immediate. It's, it happens to us constantly on a daily basis. 
But what's interesting to me is that masonry, co-masonry at any rate, is very highly disciplined. And, and it's interesting to me that both of those are coincident, which seems to be slightly opposite in the middle of the two militaries that we experienced. Well, there was certainly a, a lot of training in my era, but, you know, when when a sergeant is the one or an officer is the one that's, you know, um, acting a fool and, and getting into trouble, then, you know, it's kind of hard to listen to, to their leadership and to really take their, their style seriously. Uh, like, who's going to reinforce that necessarily? But I think that, you know, a parallel with, with Freemasonry is that you hear in other orders that they give out degrees like candy, you know, and that you just show up and, and you attain several degrees over the span of a weekend. And in universal co-masonry, it's a very slow process. And I think that something that may have happened in the early or mid-2000s with, with the wars that were going on is that, you know, some people probably moved up a little too fast in the ranks. And, you know, what happens in a, in a lodge when, when somebody takes an office that they're not ready for they may squander it a little bit. Kind of reminds me of the Chamber of Reflection a little bit. Because in, in, in Freemasonry in general in this country, there are no chambers of reflection. They've either been removed or there's a hesitation to even introduce them because they're scary. And uh, it requires a little too much maybe force and too much discipline on behalf of the candidate to sit in a room with obstacles that may appear frightening. And so I think the chamber of reflection is, is, is kind of a symbol of our discussion here. So... Um, do we make it easier for people to be in Freemasonry, or do we make it harder? If we make it harder, I think we're going to get better people. If we make it easier, we're going to get people that Brother Isaac are kind of talking about here, that they're probably getting ranks a little too soon because you know they're needed, because they need uh, more bodies in, in a current war. And I think that's always kind of the temptation, that when you need people, you start to loosen your standards. And so we see that with the Chamber of Reflection. We see that in general with the entire ritual of Freemasonry that in many places have been washed down, symbols have been removed, and things have been made too easy. You know, I was just talking to a brother a couple weeks ago uh, who's from the Grand Lodge of Oregon, and he was telling me that, uh, especially in his raising, you know, the third degree, but his other two degrees, that everyone's laughing, and they're making funny voices, and it's not taken seriously. That is a lack of discipline, and that ruins the ceremony. And by ruining the ceremony, you ruin the potential of having great people within your ranks. Well, and one thing that I think that universal commissionary in particular emulates that I think the, that the military does very well is, is that aspect of physical discipline. When you talk about the chamber of reflection, but even also the degrees and how we practice them, like it's very physically involved. Like Brother Isaac said, like we don't have like a stadium where you just get to sit back and, and watch a degree and then you become that degree. Like you have to go through everything. And I think like even that, you know, we certainly don't have drill sergeants punching people in the stomach or anything in order to, to advance in, in the degrees, but there is an, an element of physical discipline that's emphasized. You have to stand up straight. You have to square corners. You have to do all these kinds of things that involve the use of the body. And I think that's something that the military highlights very well is that in order to achieve any objective or accomplish any mission like the vehicle in which you're going to do that has to be well maintained and in in a good enough shape to to surmount those obstacles whatever 
it is that you're going to face. Well, what does it mean to subdue your passions? It's the first thing we learn in Freemasonry. And subduing your passions literally begins with subduing your body. Doesn't it? Well, to Brother Axel's point, I would say that, you know, while in the military you take actual physical beatings, I, I think in Freemasonry you take more uh, mental beatings, you know, of subduing your passions, of, of knowing thyself. I think those are beatings of a, of a higher level, level, not necessarily getting physically beat up, but just breaking down your base nature and character so that you can rebuild it into something else. I would agree. The um, thinking back on on my time at the um, at the academy, uh, when you first got there, the the discipline was very, very harsh and very well defined. We were only allowed five different responses to whatever was said to us. Uh, later on in the year, it, it loosened what, up. What were those responses? Just uh, out of curiosity. Let's see if I can remember. Uh, yes, sir. No, sir. I do not know, sir. I'll find out, sir. And I can't remember the fifth one. And I'm probably getting those four are good enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, and I, I have to think a little bit about the military where this happens to. But I've discovered with the with the universal co masonry that it tends to become self regulating. And, and what I if if you do it, dare I say, do it right. And what I mean by that is that. Um, you won't be able to go to the higher degrees because your your profane life is reflected in what happens in your Masonic life, and the road becomes harder as you go. Uh, and and in that manner, if you're not prepared to go on to to a higher degree, uh, then that'll also show up in your profane life, and that's what I mean by being self-regulated. Well, I mean to that point, Brother Byron, I mean. We're not allowed to go to the bathroom in the middle of the meeting. We're not allowed to talk to anybody unless it's part of the ritual lines. We have to sit like a statue. I mean, all these things are difficult, right? But it's part of the discipline that we have. And, you know, sitting there for three hours without a glass of water, we don't have our cell phones. I've heard that in other lodges. People are on their phones texting each other and all that. We have to sit there and actually pay attention. And when you watch soldiers doing drill and other things, they're, it's the same thing. So I think it begins with this idea of you must have empire over your own body. And then that, I think as you said, Brother Isaac, before, you know, as, as you develop your body, you develop your mind because one is the emblem of the other. Didn't you say something like that? As far as the body being an emblem of the mind and the feet being an emblem of the rectitude of one's actions, absolutely. So it's also interesting to me that um, you start off with very, very basic things in the military and in co-masonry. Those basic things you do, which we identify as being disciplined, the way we move, uh, what we say, what we don't say, how we sit and the like. But after a while, those things become automatic and you tend to go beyond them. And the same is true in the military. Once you have the basics down, you can go on to the more advanced things to do the things you need to do to defeat the enemy. In the case of the military, it's the Soviets, in my case. Afghanis, in your case. In the case of cold masonry, who's our enemy? Ignorance. Ourselves. So I got a question. Um, 
again, I wasn't in the military, so you know, it's, it's a question of the parallels that exist here. But you were talking about the basics, Brother Byron. So I'm thinking, you know, typically what we learn in co-masonry when you join, when you're an apprentice and a fellow craft, uh, depending on how much background you had. So people from the military kind of have an edge. But I mean, when I'm studying with or the apprentices, it's a, it's a lot of basics like how to say hello, goodbye, you know, salutations. Make your bed in the morning. Make your bed in the morning. Um, how to conduct yourself in society, how to use proper language. And as you go into the second degree, particularly how to have a discussion, a discourse, use the seven liberal arts. These seems like they, they seem like items that you would learn in school, but you actually don't learn social etiquette and proper thinking in school. They just, you know, they give you a bunch of facts. And I think in the military, it sounds like you get some of those same basics, how to make your bed how to wake up on time, how to do something, how to respond to people properly, how to follow a chain of command. It's like, it seems simple, but would you say that that's in the military, that's where they start you in learning how to just like be a basic human being? Uh, Absolutely. And I'd say uh, I got the opportunity to go through basic training with the drill sergeant and all that, as well as what they did at the academy. And it's all basically saying the same or doing the same thing, has the same intent. Uh, Like Brother Isaac said, it's to kind of break you down and then build you back up in the Army way so that you're in the Army mold. And I think to a certain extent, we do that in co-masonry, starting with the Chamber of Reflection. Yeah, I wouldn't even say that it's to a certain extent. I think we've actually completely copied that model from the military. Or or perhaps in that sense, you know, fraternal societies in the military are somewhat symbiotic in that that we, we all seek to break down initiates and build them into what they wish to become so in the military you know they shave your head and you have to shave every day and while this has an aspect of keeping uniformity i think has another aspect of of looking like an exemplary member of society not looking like a hobo basically and i think in freemasonry um the brothers as well have to be an upstanding member of society you know not look like like a ragged bum necessarily Something interesting with the military and Freemasonry is that, you know, you're a soldier 24-7. Like, just because you get off duty and stuff doesn't mean you can go back to to being a a civilian, so to speak. Um, Even if you get in trouble, you know, three towns away on a weekend, like, you can't have military repercussions if your chain of command finds out that that you were doing something you weren't supposed to. And in, in Freemasonry, you know, just because you leave the lodge doesn't mean you, you get to hang up your mason cap and you put on your profane hat and you can go back, you know, live in the way you always have. So in, in that respect, you're always a mason 24-7, just like a soldier is, is a soldier 24-7. To, uh, to build on that point a little bit, Brother Isaac, um, in the military, of course, you wear uniforms. You, you can be said to be, look, everybody looks the same. Same with co-masonry. We're, we're a uniform. Everybody looks the same. But then it becomes a challenge um, for people to really get to know other people and who they truly are. They get past the surface experience and go to, go to the inside of that person to, to learn what they're all about, what makes them tick. And, and you see real personalities come out, come out in both the military and in co-masonry. So how do you find out what people are are really made of or, or what's deep inside is I think being thrown in a situation of adversity 
And all you have is either your fellow soldier or, or your fellow brother with you. Well, and I've heard it said before, and obviously I've never been in the military, but that um, in training, it, it kind of gets broken down um, to, to the very basic unit of like, when you are in these adverse situations that you're talking about, you're no longer fighting for these high ideals or, or any of these philosophic things. You're fighting for the guy next to you, right? And there's an immediate bonding that happens when when two or more human beings are in some kind of a conflict together. And now, you know, universal co-masons aren't on the front lines of any actual like shooting conflicts, but we do go out and engage the world and, and we try to um, fulfill this mission we've assigned ourselves of perfecting humanity and destroying ignorance. And that there, that results in some conflicts. And perhaps it's not as extreme as, you know, life and death situations, but there's, I certainly think that there is a, a bonding that happens in masonry when you actually try to carry these principles out into the world and affect some kind of a change. So I think the, the bonding that uh, we're talking about here happens at the, the personal level because there's a, a common set of experiences. Everybody can talk about, oh, the, the drill sergeant that, that was a real pain in the wazoo or um, going out to shoot the, the rifle and how well or not well you did as far as uh, shooting the targets. Um, what's interesting to me, and I'd, I'd, be, I'd like to hear a little bit uh, from Brother Isaac, is the, the difference in, uh, between the officer corps and the enlisted corps. Um, the enlisted corps tends to be more people-focused. Whereas the officer corps tends to be more mission focused. Now the best, the best officers and the best NCOs are the ones that have a balance between the two. But I'd be interested in hearing uh, Brother Isaac's thoughts on that and how that, how he sees that reflected in co-masonry. So Brother Byron, I like your analysis of, of enlisted being people-oriented and the officers being more mission-oriented. Can you just give the people that may not be familiar with military terminology what enlisted and commissioned means? So an enlisted um, member of the Army is like a private, specialist, corporal, sergeant, any, any level of sergeant, whether it's sergeant or sergeant first class or command sergeant major. They all um, fall into the... Um, the enlisted category and a commissioned officer you need to have a college degree for that um, a lot of them go through a, an officer school like West Point and an officer is basically all your lieutenants and colonels and captains you got generals in there so those would be the officers they're basically the, the head honchos and then they, they make the plans and then the enlisted they execute the plans um, that would be my my description of that it's similar in freemasonry to what we would call white masonry which is um the 31st 32nd and 33rd degree that is the grand inquisitor commanders the sublime princes of the royal secret and the grand inspectors general so those are the officers essentially are the people placed in charge of strategy and of running the entire organization while the rest of the ranks are more enlisted and they have their boots on the ground, right? Yeah, I would agree. I mean, there's definitely a, a differentiation in the uh, responsibilities of, of the various degrees. As you, Obviously, as you move up in any organization, your responsibilities well should increase. 
And I think it's the same in the military that, you know, you, you're describing that uh, the non-commissioned officers and the, and the enlisted men kind of have a limited area of focus. It's just like, here's the plan, go execute it, go do, like, do what we tell you. And, and of course, like any organization that wants to be effective does have to have that arm. It has to have a bunch of people that are ready to go and do what they're told. Just like in masonry, especially in universal co-masonry, we need the blue degrees to people to go out, be boots on the ground, you know, hold MPS meetings and go out and engage people. Like there's, we need more people to do that than we need to strategize and to plan. And I think one of the key elements here, which was brought up by, I don't know if it was Brother Brian or Brother Isaac or both of you, but you need to have a balance between the two. So the the, the best um, officers, or in this case, the best Supreme Council members, the best sublime princes, are those that are interacting with everyone on all degrees and doing the same work. Sometimes I think in masonry, there's this idea that, oh, I've reached a certain degree. I don't have to do this work anymore. I can kind of sit in the office, get a fan on me, and uh, let other people do that type of work. And I think uh, there, be, there a disconnect develops between the higher degrees and the lower degrees in masonry, as it, it's, it's apparent in the military between enlisted and officers. Is that correct? Funny you mention that, Brother Matias. Um, so Brother Brother Byron mentioned that, you know, or he asked the question. Um, how, how do the enlisted bond or create that brotherhood? I think a lot of that comes from from the uh, separation of rank. So, you know, in the enlisted, it was always like we were at the whims of the officers. So no, no matter what kind of absurd orders we received, it was our suffering through it that created that bond of solidarity that, you know, uh, we're over here, you know, staying up late at night, you know, guarding something that is probably not all that important or you know just standing in a formation just for the sake of standing in a formation uh it was that or you know whether you're, you're burning feces in a, in a diesel canister just to empty out the the porta john it was the suffering together that creates those bonds of solidarity you know in, in universal co-masonry i've heard you know a 33rd degree uh brother say oh you know um, i'll always be an inner apprentice you know and, and I think there's a bit of humility in that. And in, in, at least in, in the Army, from my experience, once you reach a, a certain rank, you're, you're absolved of some tasks. Where I've seen some 33rd degree uh, members here, you know, get down in the trenches and, you know, do the work along with the apprentices. Like, they're not above it. Um, in the military, for the rank of specialist, it's like a, like a little shield with an eagle. And there's, there's a saying, you know, they call it a sham shield. Shamming is, is kind of like not necessarily being lazy, but weaseling your way out of work. So when a sergeant would say, hey, guys, I got some, some nasty detail for somebody to do, you know, the sham shields, well, they're absolved. You know, that's the privates that, that have to do that. You know, or you certainly reach a certain stage where you can be a, a sergeant sitting in your air conditioning watching some DVDs while everybody else is literally digging a trench. Uh, this isn't an exaggeration. I, I've experienced it myself. Whereas, I, at least I'm very hopeful that in Freemasonry, you know, the only reason why a brother wouldn't be necessarily digging a trench is because of a literal physical impairment or because there was something else truly important to do. Well, I think the, uh, the hierarchy 
in universal co-masonry is maintained, but it's much more lateral in the sense that everybody who has attained any rank has taken the same degrees that everybody else has taken in the organization. Like everybody in the organization, no matter how high their degree or their rank, they everybody has taken the first degree. So the lowest member of our organization and the highest share that one thing in common at the very least. And there is no officer class uh, in universal commissary. I mean, there are officers, but in the sense that like you, there's no way to skip levels in co-masonry you don't get to go to school and come in with a commission that everybody moves through the same ladder so there is more of an equality that's i think that's built from the ground up in in the masonic organization as opposed to the military uh, well what's unique in my mind is the fact that once we're a uh, an intern apprentice we're always an intern apprentice the entire time we're a, we're a mason and we're told that time and again uh, as an inner apprentice, when we move on to the higher degrees, we're reminded of that because there's always something to learn from from that degree. Well, another unique aspect of this is that in, in, in co-masonry, you can't take another degree unless you're already supporting the degrees that you have already. So I've heard a lot of, of people in other Masonic organizations, as they move up, they stop going to Blue Lodge meetings or they stop going to lower degree meetings because they've attained all these other degrees or they're in these other organizations. And so what that, what that creates is that, oh, that's not important anymore. I've already done that. I'm, I'm up here now. So in co-masonry, it's like, well, if you want to be up here, you still have to be doing the work down there. You can't not go to a blue lodge and attain the 30th degree or the 18th degree. You have to be active in all bodies. And that kind of reinforces the importance that you're always an apprentice, you're always a fellow craft, you're always a master mason, you're always a knight of the rose qual, you're always a knight kadash. You cannot stop supporting those things. I mean, you can, but then your progress is immediately halted. You know, and it's interesting, I think when you, you look at history and you see examples of where that kind of fraternalism and uh, membership in a, in a mystery tradition or an, an, an initiatic tradition, so to speak, is mixed with the military, you see some of the strongest militaries in history. I mean, two examples that come to mind are uh, the Roman military and the British military. Um, both were infused with fraternalism in Rome through the, uh, the cult of Mithras and in uh, the British Empire through, through Freemasonry itself. Like both of these militaries relied heavily on cementing those bonds of solidarity that Brother Isaac was talking about through an experience in the mysteries, through a fraternal experience that then um, supplemented the, the military hierarchy. And, and I've completely lost that sentence. I'm going to finish your sentence for you, Brother Axel. Uh, I think where you're going with this is that when you look at the best generals in human history, they all were ones that weren't sitting on the back of the battlefield, watching the battle and ordering men to their death, they were literally there. You look at uh, Patton, he was fighting. You look at MacArthur, he was there, you know, on the front lines. You look at the best generals, they're fighting, they're alongside you. And that motivates the soldiers to fight even more. But when they're off in the background, not being seen, only, you know, all you, the only way you know them is because you've received some sort of like communication that you have to go do something. There's no connection there. And so you're, less willing to fight for someone that's not fighting alongside you. So I think whether you're 
the lowest private or the highest general, everyone has to be fighting. Well, I think that, you know, it gives a sense of being expendable when you receive an order and the general or whoever it is isn't even willing to be anywhere near that situation. And I think in, in universal co-masonry, um, when an apprentice receives an order, you know, it's not because someone's trying to be, uh, un, you know, uh, mean to them or anything. It's because any officer that I've ever met in universal co-masonry doesn't ask anything that they themselves wouldn't do or haven't done. Well, and and usually people are asked to take on things that they haven't taken on before in order to instruct them in in how to do that, in order to make people better. Like whenever somebody has you know asked me to do something, it's it's usually coming from a senior officer who's done it before and would like to impart that knowledge, not not as some kind of a sham shield like you're talking about where they're just trying to get out of work, but like you know, hey, let me show you how this works in masonry and, and you can do it too. Like it, it's much more of a um, an uplifting kind of sentiment than like, oh yeah, you can do it too. As in, I don't have to do it anymore. Now you can instead. So I think I think it may even go down to a deeper level. Uh, when we think about co-masonry in general, the ritual is very big in what we do. We all look alike. We act alike. We've gone through the same background as, as Brother Matthias has mentioned, and, and I think in that kind of environment, and the same thing happens in the military, where everybody's doing the same thing, everybody's focused on the same mission, um, dress the same way, have the same training, is that thought patterns tend to merge. They send, tend to mm-hmm. tend to be start heading in the same direction, and what happens is you get kind of a synergy going on there. The the sum of the parts is greater than the whole, or is that did I say that right? No, I think you did, and it's you're, okay. you're making me think of something interesting. It's like when we start out as apprentices or when you start out as a private, it's more selfish. It's more subjective. It's what you're thinking about, what you want to do. But as you move through the degrees, and I imagine as you move through the ranks in the military, everyone is becoming more of one mind. The subjectivity is being replaced with objectivity until when you reach the top, you're looking down at the whole structure, at the cause and the plan in a singularity, while the private or the apprentice is thinking, oh, well, what am I going to get out of this? Am I going to get some training, some knowledge, some understanding, a GI Bill? But at the top, those things don't matter anymore. It's the one plan that matters. So it's, we're moving from subjectivity to objectivity the longer and longer we're in the military or in masonry. Something interesting that I would differentiate like a military friendship from like friendship out in the profane world is that, you know, in the military, I've served with guys and been in some not pleasant situations with with guys that I can't tell you what their favorite color is. You know, I don't know what their favorite TV show is, but I can certainly tell you uh, about the nature of their being, you know, their grit, you know. Uh, feel like like you've known him forever, basically. <clears throat> and I think in the profane world, we, we really don't know how our friends are like <clears throat> or how they would react in a certain situation. But we can tell you when their birthday is, you know, their favorite food, their favorite color. Superficial very stuff. superficial stuff. Yeah. And I think Freemasonry, is, at least for me, has been like that, in which, you know, I've, I've traveled with brothers. I've, you know, served alongside of them and ceremonies just a normal meeting you know gone through hours of rehearsal 
can't really tell you what their favorite color is or what you know their favorite TV show is. But I can certainly tell you about the nature of, of their values and of, of what they, they uphold. Well, I think we've been babbling for a long time here. It's been about 45 minutes. So let's wrap this up, gentlemen. Um, I think it's been a really important discussion today because the military and Freemasonry, though separate, are linked historically. You know, Masons have been in the military and the military you can find in masonry in terms of our discipline, our structure, our ritual. They're, they're very similar. They're brothers or sisters, twin brothers or sisters. But there was something that you said, Brother Byron, before we started this podcast today, which was duty, honor, and country. It was a speech that MacArthur gave um, probably during the events of the Korean War. And it makes me think, it kind of rhymes with wisdom, strength, and beauty, liberty, equality, fraternity, and brotherly love, relief, and truth. But what's interesting about duty, honor, and country is that it really, it goes to the core of being a soldier. You begin by doing your duty. You must then be honorable in all your actions, and you must serve country. I would only replace that with not a particular country as Freemasons, but as the world, as humanity. So I would say duty, honor, humanity. Those are the three values that a real soldier of the light should possess in all their dealings throughout the world and in all their engagements 24-7, whether they're wearing their profane cap, their military cap, or they're sitting in a Masonic lodge. Thank you for listening to Legends of the Craft. This podcast is purely the opinion of brothers Matthias Comcier and Axel Suvari and does not represent the official views of Universal Comasonry. Universal Comasonry is a Masonic order founded on the principles of liberty, equality, and fraternity that admits men and women without distinction of race, religion, or creed. For more information, please visit universalfreemasonry.org.